This morning we find ourselves in the fourth chapter of Colossians. We've spent the last three weeks looking at Colossians 2, 3, and then this week it'll be 4. Uh, back in June we looked at, at Colossians 1, and in this very brief study of Colossians, there are a lot of good things that we didn't look at, talk about, or read through. And um, I would encourage you even just this week or throughout this month to continue to keep working through Colossians. Uh, there is a lot in here that could be uh, preached for, for many more sermons than just the four. Uh, I have specifically just tried to highlight a piece from each chapter. Um, so if, if, again, I, chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. And so from this day we have heard that uh, and we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a matter worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is, this is good stuff. This is worthy to be written on the wall in your living room stuff, which we have that written on the wall in our living room. But I would encourage you to work through it as, as, as the weeks and the, and the months go on. Um, it, again, it's a short book. It's four chapters, but uh, there's a lot of good things in there. The, today, we're we're going to look at chapter four, and we're going to spend our time in verses two through six. And if you've ever read through these verses before, they they kind of touch on a on a subject of prayer and and sharing your faith. Two subjects that uh, create a, a sense of Guilt and fear in, in most of us. And the idea of, of sharing your faith, of presenting the gospel, we're talking about Jesus, witnessing, evangelism, whatever wording or phrasing you would like, it, it does strike a, a sense of fear. And, and for a lot of us, a, a sense of guilt. And, it, and it's, it's easy to, to stand up and, and look down upon all of you and make you feel even more guilty uh, than you already do. I mean, we're afraid and, and we panic. I mean, what should I say? How, how, do I, how do I begin to even open the topic of sharing my faith? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer for? Or what if my mind just goes blank? And then there's the guilt. You know, I've, I've failed so many times and in taking hold of the opportunity to share my faith, or I don't do it enough, or, or these are the people in my life that I, that I know I should be sharing my, my faith with, I should be telling them about Jesus, but I, I just don't ever take that step. Or even just as simply as I just, I just don't do it well. And as we begin to, to, to prepare to go into these verses this morning, I, I want to open up our, our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we do give you thanks and praise this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and worship you. Father, I thank you for this body that, that are here to, to lift up your name in song. Father, we can sing about, about you. We can read about you. We can talk about you. Father, I thank you for Pastor Joel in prayer this morning. And we recognize that this is because of you that we don't bring anything to this table, Father. You, you do not need us to do these things. 
but, but you allow us to and you provide us opportunities to do these and to worship you and to sing to you and to pray to you and we thank you for that this morning. As we look to spend time in your word, Father, I ask that, that you would just allow your truth to be proclaimed, Father, that we would take from this morning not things that I would say but things that we would see in Scripture. Father, may your word change us as we leave this place. Would we look different this morning because of what we read. Most of all, Father, would you just work in our hearts? Would you begin to to continue to make us more look like your son? Father, as we talk about the subject of sharing our faith, Father, would you allow us to, to take a good look at our own lives and our own desires and the things that we value? And Father, if needed be, would you convict us? But Father, would you... Provide encouragement for us and tools for us that as we leave that we would look to proclaim your name. Father, again, we know this is only possible because of your Son. And it's in his name that we pray these things this morning. Amen. When you when you talk to somebody about evangelism, when you talk to somebody about sharing their faith, you typically you typically get a couple of different responses. And the one response that I often hear is, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm just not good at talking to other people. <laughs> Either am I. But I, I just like to witness with my life. I, I'm about making relationships and just letting them see how I live it out before them. Now, now this is, I mean, it's, it's awesome and stuff. But you realize that you would need to live a life better than Paul, better than Jesus, because both of them not only lived it, but they also spoke to sinners about their salvation. Now, why, while a Christian life should be the foundation for our witness, those around you could just assume you're a good person if there's no, if there's no conversation about it. I think... Because they think they're a good person too. We need to speak about Christ and not just live it out. And, and then there are those that are a little more aggressive. And, and their pursuit to share the gospel, it's almost a, a telemarketer approach. Almost a mixture between harassment and love. Giving a sales pitch, trying to hook another one. And this often leads to the person that you're trying so strongly to convince to follow Christ to end up just walking away, looking to avoid or stay away and never have that experience again. And to be honest, those people who are already taking the silent witness approach use that as just one more excuse because they don't want to be like those pushy and sensitive telemarketers for Jesus. And I'll be honest, if you're already feeling guilty about sharing your faith, if you, are, if you find yourself already wishing that, that we just move on and talk about something else, I, just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. And my hope is as we work through this text that you'll be encouraged this morning, not just beaten down. But if we're really honest, maybe we need to be convicted a little bit. We see in this passage this morning that we're going to need to be wise in the way that we present the gospel. We're to live lives that that are godly. We need to take advantage of opportunities to talk graciously to people about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So let's look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open it up to Colossians chapter 4. And we'll start at verse 2. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now before we really get into these verses, it's I want to point out that the theme of these section of this little section here can be found in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 speaks about walking in wisdom. Verse 6 we see let your speech always be gracious. We, real, we need to realize that, that if we're only walking and there's never any speaking, we're not going to communicate the necessity, the, the, the pieces of the full gospel. And, and the same could be said that if we're only talking and never walking, then the world just going to mock us as being hypocritical Christians. We need to be living lives that are both full of walking, lives full of wisdom, and speech full of grace. It's, it's twofold. And if you remember, when we looked in chapter 2, and we looked at verses 6 and 7, we spoke that we're, we, we talked about, and we looked at, and we spoke about how, how we're to walk in Christ. That our desire is to walk in Christ. As we think about how we received Christ, we're called to walk in Him. And then Paul gave us examples of, of how to do that. We're to be rooted up. We're to be built up. We're to be established. And we're to be abounding in thanksgiving. Once again, Paul uses this, this image of walking. And we, and we talked about how walking is steady. One foot in front of the other and you will eventually arrive at your goal. Paul uses the this, this same idea here in verse 5. A steady way of life. Consistent direction. We're to be walking in Christ. And then we come to the word wisdom. Walk in wisdom. And in wisdom in the Old Testament, it, it, it actually comes from the word skill. I mean, the book of Proverbs often contrasts the wise man and the fool. I mean, you see, the fool will disregard God's command, but the wise man will skillfully order his life according to God's word. It's like a craftsman building a wonderful piece of art. If you've ever watched somebody build a sculpture, it, it's done with, with skillful order. And you can't just take a piece of stone and begin to just hammer and chisel it. It would result in, in cracks and chips and breaks. Instead, it needs to be planned and performed with skill, precision. And when it's finished, it's, it's beautiful. If we walk in wisdom, if we embrace this calling, it will produce a beautiful life. So if we're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, we're to live a life in line with God's Word. 
so that those who are not Christians, those who do not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they will see the beauty of our lives and relationships that reflect Jesus. They'll be able to see the fruit of the Spirit in us, in our lives, should be, be drawing them to the Savior. One of the things I, I like to do is watch people. I mean, it's not just about watching them walk by, because that would be silly and boring. No, I like to watch people and make up stories about their conversations and their lives at that moment. What they're doing, what they're not doing, where they're going. I mean, we all watch people at some point. You may not be making up stories about them, but you are watching them. I mean, we all watch people. You need to realize people are watching you too. D.L. Moody wrote, Out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. Our witness is always an, an overflowing of our walk. To be wise witnesses, we must learn to walk with wisdom towards outsiders. But, but a wise walk does not just happen. You don't wake up and begin to be wise. It has to begin in our private life before it spills over to our public life. And this will bring us back to verse 2. So let's go back a couple of verses and see where we should begin. Verses 2 and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Our prayer life is the first step in wise witnessing. It's the first step in sharing the gospel. It only makes sense that before we speak to someone about God, we're already speaking to God about that someone. One of my classes at, at Lancaster Bible College, one of my professors, his name is Rick Rhodes, he used a variety of books for required reading for the class, and one of those books is called Concentric Circles of Concern. It's one of my favorite books because it has C, C, and C. But the book is about making disciples. And in his book, the author Oscar Tom Thompson, he, he writes about what he calls these concentric circles of concern. And, and basically the idea is you are in the center circle. The next, next circle out is, is family. The next circle out is relatives. The next circle is friends. The next circle is neighbors. The next circle is acquaintances. And then the final circle would be strangers or people you haven't met yet. And this, this illustrates to help us see the importance of relationships, the importance of, of the fact that those that are closer to us, they allow us the most opportunities to speak into them, to invest in them to disciple them, to encourage them. If you're in the middle, and then the closest ring next to you is family, and then friends, neighbors, you will certainly know more about the concerns and needs of your family than you will about those people you have yet ever met. And when it comes to praying for people, we're certainly more capable of praying for these people in this smaller circles. And this is what we should be doing. 
But before we pray to them, pray for them. Maybe, maybe starting a list of, of what each person needs to begin praying for them. Pray that God would create circumstances in their lives to draw them to Christ. Be praying that, that He would use you in the process, that, that you would have not only opportunities, but you would have the boldness in those moments to speak about Christ. So think about that first circle, your family. How can you be praying for them? How can you be praying for opportunities to, to share the gospel with them? Think about your friends and your neighbors. How often have, how often have you written out that list of, of these are the things that I should be praying for for them? Instead, we often just refer to generic prayers of just provide me an opportunity to share my faith. We can also begin to look for the needs that they have. How can we meet the needs of those people in those circles? In the midst of praying and in the midst of meeting needs, God's going to provide opportunities to witness, to speak about the gospel. Looking at these, these concentric circles in our lives, we can see that the most effective opportunities to share our faith comes from the context of loving relationships, where people can truly see the changes that Jesus Christ is making in your life. We often think about sharing our faith and about witnessing in the context of going out on the street and speaking to total strangers, right? Excuse me, sir, can I tell you about my friend named Jesus? There's nothing wrong with sharing your faith with a total stranger, but realize that you do not need to be living a consistent Christian life to witness to a stranger. And because a stranger doesn't know you, they may not be impressed by the changes that the gospel has made in your life. But if you're sharing your faith with one of those smaller circles, your family, friends, neighbors, then it's a different story. You need to be aware of those relationships. Repair them if needed. Ask for forgiveness if needed. You need to show an attitude of joy in Christ. You need to show the peace of Christ in those difficult situations. Remember, they are watching. And this is why an attitude of thanksgiving is so very important. A life of thanksgiving stems from us submitting our lives to a sovereign God. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, he says, whatever, whatever we do, we're to do without grumbling or complaining. This is a great verse to, to try to encourage your children to do their chores. But if you're not grumbling or complaining in this world, you will stand out. If you begin your day with thankful prayer, if if you find yourself abounding in thanksgiving, then those around you will notice. And this will create opportunities for you then to speak about the gospel. So in verse 3, Paul's asking for prayer, that God would open the door for the word that he would be able to declare the mystery of Christ. God has to open the door. It has to be something God does. I cannot walk up like an action movie and kick the door down. God has to open the door. But we need the boldness. We need to have boldness to speak about Christ when the door opens. I know in my life there have been many, many moments where I see the open door too late. And I miss the opportunity to share the gospel. 
Just this past Friday, I was at the gas station, and a woman knocks on my car window, and she was looking for money for gas. I didn't hesitate. I reached in my pocket, pulled out the $20 I had, and I gave it to her. She said, thank you, and then she began to walk on to ask other patrons that were there too. It was only after I was in my car and I'm driving away that I thought, why didn't I just go over and fill her tank? While it was filling, I could have easily, I could have easily shared with her all the wonders of Christ. But I missed it. Paul asked for prayer so that when God opens the door, he would speak the gospel. Paul, who is confined in prison, is still looking for opportunities. This should be our mindset. But if we're not looking, if you're not looking, then you will never see them. I was not looking for opportunities at the gas station on a Friday afternoon. And because of that, I missed it. We need to be looking if we're ever going to see them. And what happens when we do see those opportunities to share the gospel? Have you ever found yourself in the midst of of trying to to speak to someone about the saving knowledge of, of Christ that in the midst of it you think to yourself, I am making this more complicated than it needs to be. They are not following me at all. I'm not even sure what I'm saying. But even Paul here is asking, asking that they would pray that his message would be clear. Verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul's asking for prayer that, that he would be clear in presenting the gospel, or as he refers to it as the mystery of Christ for which he's also been imprisoned. A, a, a side note here, often when Paul speaks about sharing the gospel, he highlights imprisonment or a struggle. He, he's showing that there's a cost for those opportunities. But he's not speaking about the gospel as being this mysterious, difficult thing. The word mystery here is referring to the truth that has been previously unknown, but has now been revealed. I mean, it refers to the truth of salvation that was previously revealed only to the Jews, but now is available to the Gentiles. Every person, Jew or Gentile, can now be seen as righteous, can now have access to God through faith in Christ. Our sins have separated us from God, a holy God. And because He is holy and just, God cannot just look away. Our our sins need to be dealt with. The penalty must be paid, and the wages for sin is death. The penalty must be paid. That is death. No amount of good works can ever pay that penalty. So God, in His love for us, sent us His Son Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life, a life that that we could not live. He was crucified on the cross, and he died a death that we should have died. He paid the debt that we owed. Jesus died, was buried, and on the third day rose from the grave, and he now offers eternal life to every sinner who would turn from his sins and trust in the risen Christ alone to save him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your work, so that no one may boast. 
Don't lose sight of God's love in this. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It is important that we take advantages of the opportunities that we're given to speak about our faith in the Gospel, but it's also important in the way that we speak. We're not just supposed to speak clearly, but we see here in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Verse 6 here, and if you look over at chapter 3, verse 8, do you see the similarity of these two verses? No. Verse 6 of chapter 4 and verse 8 of chapter 3 contradict each other. They're completely different. You cannot be gracious in the way that you speak when you're angry, when you're slandering, and when you're swearing. It just can't happen. Those are the old things. Those are the things that we were supposed to put to death. And because they're dead, we can now move on. And we can speak with grace. When we speak about Christ, when we speak about the gospel, our speech should be overflowing with God's grace. The very message is that He gives salvation as a free gift to sinners who deserve His judgment. It also includes speaking graciously to others. As a sinner who has received grace, We should not be speaking in a condemning manner to another sinner. We should be kind, humble, letting the other person know that we are all sinners who would be facing God's wrath if it were not for His grace. When we speak about Christ, when we speak about the Gospel, our speech should then also be seasoned with salt. to be gracious. And it should be seasoned with salt. Salt had really two main uses in Paul's day. It was used as a preservative to keep things from spoiling. And this would imply that our speech should be pure and free from corruption. It should show those whose lives have been spoiled due to their sin that they can be restored through the gospel. second use for salt was as a spice to make food more enjoyable. Our, our presentation of the gospel should stimulate people's taste to want more. When you share the gospel, when you tell someone about Jesus, be compelling, be engaging, be excited, be joyful, be enthusiastic. Be seasoned with salt. Brothers and sisters, use illustrations. Tell them stories. Give examples. Use objects. Carry an evangelicube. Use tracts. Use the Gospel of John. Draw on a napkin. But remember that you're sharing the greatest story that has ever been told. 
How excited do we get when we talk about a new movie? An amazing game that we saw. A great deal that we got at the store. We do this with great excitement and joy. We want others to hear. We, we stop in their tracks. When my children are excited at home, Dad, 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 Hey, Dad, 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 Hey, Hey, Dad, Dad. Excitement, enthusiasm, they don't stop. Until you say, What? How? How do we see sharing the gospel with the rest of the things in our lives that we're excited about? It's a story about Jimmy Carter. President Jimmy Carter in his autobiography shares that every year his church had these revival meetings. And in preparation for the week, the leaders of the congregation would would venture out in the community and they would engage in the non-church members about the services. And as a deacon, President Carter would would always participate in these exercises. He would go to and visit a few homes and he would read scripture with them. He would pray with them and and, and share some of his his views on his faith. and, And he would talk about the weather or whatever else would come up. Carter wrote, I was, I was always proud enough of this effort to retain a clear conscience throughout the remainder of the year. One day, President Carter was asked to speak at a church, and the topic was on Christian witnessing. And as Carter sat down in his study writing his speech, he decided that he would make a great impression on the audience by sharing with them how many homes that he had visited for God. He figured that in the 14 years, he conducted about 140 visits to homes. And he proudly wrote this number in his script. And as he sat there, he began to reflect on the 1966 governor's election, where he campaigned for for the state's highest office, and he spent 16 to 18 hours a day trying to reach as many voters as possible. At the conclusion of the campaign, he calculated that he met more than 300,000. Sitting in his study, the truth became evident. And he wrote, the comparison struck me. 300,000 visits for myself in three months and 140 visits for God in 14 years. Do we see the gospel, the chance to speak about it in the correct light, with the weight that it deserves? Or do we, are, we, are we too quick to, to show the excitement and the joy that we should be giving the gospel for something else? We're also called to know how to respond to each person. We see this at the end of verse 6. I'll let you in on, on a little secret. Everybody's different. Everyone responds in different ways to different things. If you're a parent of multiple children, you see this firsthand. I'm always amazed that our nine children can be so different, yet grew up in the same house. Same parents, same rules, yet they're different. One child I can look at sternly and they begin to cry. 
while another one whom I won't name needs to be, as I put it, dramatically encouraged to obey. They're different. They're all different. We're all different. And we need to be different in the way that present the gospel to others. Not based on the way that we like the gospel, but on the way that they need to hear it. It should be based on them and their needs. One person may need to understand sin and judgment. Or the next person may need to understand God's abundant grace for sinners who repent. We see this in the way that Jesus interacted with people. He confronted the proud Pharisees sternly, but was gentle with those that were guilty in their sins. Pray for wisdom as you speak. Be sensitive to who you're speaking to. Look for signs. Ask questions. This is another example of the importance of relationships. Think back to the circles. Family, relatives, friends, neighbors. The deeper you know the people around you, the more involved you are in their lives, the better you know them, then the more, the, the more you're investing in those relationships and the better equipped you will be to know how you ought to answer them. This is what Paul's lays out. This is what Paul lays out for us in how to share the gospel. How to, how to witness. We're to, be, we're to be covered in prayer. We're to make use of our time. We're to let our speech be gracious. We're to know each other, know our needs. Brothers and sisters, if you are steadfastly in prayer, full of thanksgiving, if you're looking for open doors so that you may declare the mystery of Christ, if you're speaking with grace, seasoned with salt, if you're aware of the needs of those around you, then perhaps sharing the gospel, perhaps witnessing, perhaps evangelism, perhaps speaking the truth may not fill us with so much fear and guilt as it once had. It really is this simple. Now, as we come to the end of our study of, our very brief study of Colossians, it it really just makes sense to to end all of this with one verse from chapter 3. Look with me to chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, to everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything. Whether it's declaring Him as Lord over creation and the church, whether it's walking in Him, being rooted and built and established with thanksgiving, whether we're looking to kill the old self and put on the new, or whether we're looking to to share the gospel with others. We're to be doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father. Let's pray. Father God, we again give you thanks for our time this morning. We thank you for your word. Uh, As we struggle... And, and face fear and guilt as we look to tell others about the wonderful mystery of Christ. 
would we reflect on what we just saw in chapter 4? That our desire would be to pray. To pray specifically. To, to pray for doors to be opened. Father, would we be looking for those open doors? Father, we would take advantage of, of how we speak. Filling it with grace. Seasoning it with salt. Father, would people around us not only see the gospel in our lives. But Father, would we be able to speak it with such excitement and such joy that people would be drawn to the work that you're doing in our lives. Father, I pray now for for this congregation as we think about those circles, as we think about those closest to us and our families. Father, would you lay on our hearts those that we should be praying for, that we should be seeking opportunities out for, Father, that those, all oh, those men and women in our lives, Father, that they should, they should burden our hearts. And Father, as we think further out in those circles, our friends and our neighbors, those that we work with, Father, would we desire to get to know them? Would we desire to build those relationships even deeper that we would know what to pray for, that we could seek those opportunities, that we would know how to speak the gospel to them specifically? And then, Father, we ask for boldness and courage that we would not pass up those opportunities when we see someone that we haven't even met yet. That we wouldn't shirk away, that we wouldn't be so quick to say, oh, their opportunity's not there, that we would step through that door. And, Father, that we would not worry about anything but proclaiming your name. Father, we pray that you would just continue to do the work in us that you've already started. Continue to shape us more like your son. Create a hunger in us, Father, for your word and that we would desire to spend our time in prayer with you. Father, again, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. With us.